Welcome to Poolside Podcast. This is episode number 27 and I'm your host, Rachel Anthony. When I was visiting Winnipeg over Christmas, I met up with my cousin Jessica to catch up and chat about her journey on becoming a freelancer. She had a successful career working for a publishing company before stepping on, out on her own to focus on editing, writing, and strategy for her own clients. But she still is an instructor for a writing course at the university in Winnipeg. Jess shares why she decided to become self-employed and the steps she took to grow her client list when she decided to make the leap. We talk about the flexibility and freedom that comes with being self-employed and how to master it to your advantage and maintain productivity since there's nobody there telling you when to work and for how long. She shares her advice for people who want to drop their 9 to 5 and become self-employed, how people can improve their writing skills and get their work published, and why networking events are so important even though we all dread them. Let's get into it. Here is Jessica Anthony. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm sitting here with Jessica Anthony, my cousin. Thanks so much for taking the time. No problem. So let's just jump into it. Do you want to introduce yourself? who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, so I'm Jessica Anthony. I am a freelance editor, content creator, and educator. So that means that I do some copy editing, anything from like, you know, uh, cover letters to manuscripts. Um, I do some writing. So things like uh, website content and uh, news articles. And then I also teach. So I teach a writing class at the University of Winnipeg here in Winnipeg. And I've been doing that for last 10 years and I also do some like guest lectures and workshops and things like that. Cool and how did you get into all of that? Is that you went to school for yes writing communications? Yeah exactly yeah so I did my undergrad here in uh, rhetoric and sociology and then I did my master's degree in media studies in Montreal and I kind of always knew like I had a passion for writing and editing and I kind of always knew that I was going to either you know do a master's degree and work in writing and editing in some capacity, or I would maybe go on and do my PhD and teach. Um, but then after I finished my master's, I was like, that is enough school for me. <laughs> and so I ended up kind of with the best of both worlds. After I finished my master's, I got a job in publishing. And then I also started teaching a writing class on the side. So I kind of got to do both, which was perfect. Cool. That's awesome. So your Instagram bio says area woman. What does that mean? <laughs> it's so, more of like a personal question than So uh, I know that was like a recent change. I was like, I wonder what that means. <laughs> um, yeah, area one is a phrase that I would use on Twitter a lot. It's just like a play on like the way that like local news, um, it's like a phrase that local news uses in reporting a lot. And like the onion uses it a lot in like satirical ways. And I just find it really funny. And I also guess I kind of like, I was thinking about, like, oh, I guess I sort of relate to it because it's, like, I'm just a regular gal. I'm just your regular area woman. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Instagram bios just tell so much about a person. It's true. You know, in, like, a couple sentences. Uh, and so you worked full-time at a publishing company. Mm -hmm. um, so what was the transition, like, into self-employment? Yeah. So I moved to self-employment in... Um, June 2017 and that was after 10 years working in publishing I was in a uh, managing editor and you know I loved my job I loved the company that I worked for I couldn't really see myself doing anything else but I just started to get really burnt out like I 
I just wasn't, you know, I was kind of like going through the motions and I couldn't really ignore it any longer. So um, around that time, the company I was working for was going through a transition of ownership. So it really felt like this is a good time for me to take a step back from this and try something else. And um, so I did. And at first I really did try and find another job. Like I looked at, you know, lots of jobs in like corporate communications. I applied for like, I don't know, like 60 jobs, like so many jobs. <laughs> and, uh, and needless to say, the fact that I had been out of the job market for 10 years meant that my resume was total trash. And that's why I was not getting any <laughs> interviews. So I hired a career coach and she helped me like so much uh, with my resume. And she also gave me a very logical, very good piece of advice, which was only apply for jobs that actually make you really excited at the idea of working there. And when I applied that to the jobs I was actually trying to apply for, I realized like, I don't want to work at any of these places. <laughs> I just want a paycheck. So that's when I stopped applying. And, you know, this whole time in, in this sort of transition of like, you know, giving my leave of absence and trying to find a new job, I was still getting all this freelance work on the side. And I realized like, that's really what makes me happy. That's what I really enjoy doing. It kind of gives me the lifestyle that I want. So why don't I just do that? And then I just was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And how did you end up getting clients? Did you have, you had enough clients to switch over or was there a period where you're like, oh shit, <laughs> how am I going to yeah. get paid? <laughs> there's, there's definitely a few oh shit periods. Um, yeah. I mean, I had um, uh, like editing clients through the publishing industry that I knew and that, that sort of I could kind of rely on. And then I also had teaching. So I picked up an extra course at the university. It's the same course, but I, you know, I just taught more of them. So that kind of helped me stay afloat. And then to be perfectly honest, like a lot of it just kind of like fell into my lap. Like it's not like I was really lucky. Um, but then in addition to that, to that, I did a ton of um, like networking events and I like, I hate networking. I'm so bad at it. I'm so awkward with people <laughs> I don't know. And like small talk just makes me so uncomfortable, but I just forced myself and it was actually really beneficial. Like, Again, this career coach, she told me if there's a networking event, even if it's not like directly related to your industry and it's $30 or less, just go to it. Cause at the very least you'll get to practice like, you know, pitching yourself, selling yourself right. to people. Become less awkward. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I have really, but at least I like know what to expect when I go into right. situations. <laughs> so yeah. And it was through all of that networking actually that I met, like a, I met a lot of other freelancers, which was really helpful. But I also met a lot of people that turned into clients. So that was like hugely helpful for me. Right. And for people who are in that situation, that same thing, like I don't go to networking events, but for people who want to go to them, what advice would you give when you walk up to someone? Like what are your like top tips for pitching yourself oh my God. or for making like real connection? Um, well, I mean, A, I think that a lot of the times it's <laughs> like, it's going to be a little like there's going to be that veneer of like fakeness a little bit because everyone's kind of like putting their best foot forward and trying to be that like, um, you know, like that version of themselves that they post on LinkedIn or whatever. Um, but I think again, just figuring out how you can explain to people what you do in a clear way in like 30 seconds or less. 
like when I say like, if I were to just say like, I'm a freelance writer, like that doesn't give you enough information. Like, what do you write? Or like, what do you teach? What do you do? And not using too many buzzwords, because that can be really like, it ends up just being like non-information. So I think that's helpful, just kind of having that sorted out before you go to these events. And also just like totally be yourself. Like the best experiences I've had at those networking events has just been when I've been like, hey, um, this is really awkward. Are you finding this awkward too? Like, oh my God. Or like being like, I'm a little bit hungover right now. Are you also hungover right now? <laughs> and then people are like, oh, okay, I can exhale and talk to you because you're a regular person. Right. That makes it easier. Um, and before we get into like the writing side of it, because like you mentioned, the freelancer fits into your type of lifestyle, mm-hmm. which I fully agree with since I also do the same thing. And you just got back from Mexico. So how do you balance the work vacation life situation, especially when you're on vacation, when you take time, how do you tell your clients that you can't help them without losing your clients? (laughs) That I, I would say I balance quite poorly. (laughs) Um, I mean like this last time away, I was gone for 11 days and it was really the first time that I was away and freelancing full time. So what I did, like I'm a huge list maker And I love making lists. So I made a list of like all the things I wanted to do while I was away and then had to like hone it down to just the things that were really key. Like anything that I had a deadline coming due while I was gone or a deadline that was coming due like right after I got back. So, you know, I I initially I had things like, oh, this would be a great time to like, you know, you know, sit in the sun and think about long term business strategy. Like, no, give me a break. Like, I'm not (laughs) doing that. So. I had a very clear plan about the things I was going to allow myself to work on. And I also had a clear plan of how many hours per day I was going to give myself to actually work because I can get really caught up in work and end up spending too much time on my laptop. Um, And then I also set an out of office reply on my email, which is like oddly enough, something that I find really hard to do because I feel like it seems like unprofessional to like not always be available, which is crazy. Yeah. So then at least my, you know, clients or potential clients would know, like, it's going to take me a day or two to get back to you. Um, And so that, that was my plan and it worked okay. There was a few things I, I had to do while I was away that ended up taking way more time than I anticipated. So I definitely had a few, you know, five or six hour work days and like, a few anxiety attacks trying to like with like a laptop that was freezing on me and like, you know, everyone else is out in the sun and I'm like sweating away trying to edit a manuscript. But I mean, I think also just sort of like being easy on yourself was also something that really helped. I was like, all right, this is going to be fine. Like I'm in Mexico. Right. How bad can I get? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I think having a plan like that and like kind of setting some boundaries for yourself um, was something that really worked for me. Yeah. And when you're here, like in Winnipeg, how do you balance work life? Do you have like specific office hours or do you set time or do you just work whenever you feel like it? Um, well, I'm, I am like a creature of routine for sure. So there are like, you know, I'm up at the same time every day. Like I'm, I'm a really early riser. I always start my day with like, I walk my dog and listen to a podcast and drink coffee. And that's like, I have to start my day that way. Otherwise like my whole day is thrown off. (laughs) Um, But I don't really have set um, office hours. Like I kind of, that's what I really like is that I can then like, if I want to go and do errands in the middle of the day when it's not as busy, then I I can do that. 
I work every day, but I don't work eight hours every day. So I kind of just do what needs to be done. And like, sometimes like maybe I'll take three hours off in the middle of the afternoon. And that means that I'll have to work for a couple hours in the evening. And I just sort of play it by ear. And so far, I mean, it doesn't really sound, I just said I was a creature of routine. It doesn't really <laughs> sound like a routine, but like, I suppose like it's working for me so far, but that flexibility has been really helpful, especially when there's like other things you want to get done in your life. And sometimes outside of nine to five is not the best hours to do them. So right. yeah. No, that's awesome. And so you have a blog as well on your website. Yes. And when I was going through it, cause I read it before we, we uh, did this interview, uh -huh. but it started off as more like practical tips. And now it's turned into more of like lifestyle advice mm -hmm. as opposed to just like writing tips mm -hmm. so what was that transition is that something like you planned or it just happened as you became more inspired to write well the first few posts were I mean that blog has always been a part of my website but it was dormant for a very long time and it was again when I was working with this career coach um her name's Carrie Twig by the way if anyone's looking for a career coach she's fantastic <laughs> Um, but she was like, okay, this is when we were working on my LinkedIn profile, which dear God, LinkedIn, but <laughs> she was like, you know, if you're going to show prospective employers that you're a writer, you need to write. So you need to write articles for LinkedIn. And I was like, what the hell? Like, what? Like I have to do this and like not get paid for it. What right. the hell? <laughs> so I wrote, I think it was like maybe three or four, like five tips for, you know, writing effectively or something like that. And those were just sort of like really short, really quick things that I did on her suggestion and then kind of realized, you know, once I started freelancing and, and getting, you know, more serious about like, this is what I want to do for a living that, you know, I do need to still show prospective clients that I can write in a variety of styles. Cause yes, I have publications, but most of them are either academic or news publications. And that doesn't really show a lot of versatility. So being able to, you know, use my blog to do that was really handy because I don't have to rely on it being published somewhere else. And it means I can write whatever I want. I can write in a, in a sort of, you know, style that's more loose and like comes really easily to me. So yes, admittedly, those first few <laughs> posts were just like kind of throwaway LinkedIn posts. But, um, but now I try and write something every week, although the last few weeks that hasn't happened just because of holidays and stuff. But you know, I try and kind of like structure it like you would see in a, an online article somewhere so that at least there's like, I'm getting practice and also just because I like writing. So, right. Yeah. Would you suggest to people who want to get their work published or want to get into the industry to have a blog? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's free advertising, it's free practice, you know, for yourself. And, and I think that, you know, if you were to compare it to like doing personal writing, like that you, you didn't make publicly available. Like if you're just going to write in a journal or something like that, you know, then you're not paying as much attention to, you know, sentence structure and making sure everything's grammatically correct and there's no spelling errors and, you know, just having, producing something on a regular basis that can be accessed by a potential client or, or publication or something like that is only going to benefit you in the long run. And even if nobody else ever reads it, you're still going to benefit from it because you're honing your craft. Right. Yeah. And do you have any other tips for people who want to get their writing published? Yeah. Um, 
Well, I think depending on the industry or the sort of like area that you're interested in writing in, you definitely need to read what's out there and what's been written in that area. So like not only to see sort of what, where the standard is, but also to see like, you know, you don't want to just be reproducing what's already been done. So is there maybe another approach or another angle that you can take on a particular topic that's fresh and new? Um, and again, just to sort of see like, who are the big players? What does their writing look like? What are the topics that they're covering? Just so that you're familiar with the industry. Um, and I think that in terms of like submitting your work to be published, like one of the things I did when I worked in publishing was, um, I vetted all of the incoming manuscript proposals. So I saw a lot. And, um, the thing that drove me nuts is that like when people would send a manuscript proposal to like 40 different publishers. And I don't understand how in this day and age, people don't understand what blind carbon copy is, but like, why are you showing me that you're sending this? <laughs> just like throwing it out to everybody. But you know, you need to personalize it. It's just right. like when you're applying for a job, you can't send the same resume to 10 different companies. Um, so, you know, personalize it to the company that you're sending it to the publisher or the magazine or whatever it is. Because you want to show them that, like, I want to be published in your publication. You don't want to be telling people, like, I'll take anything, right. <laughs> even if that's the case. <laughs> and um, and also just actually, like, read their submission guidelines because most publications have them. They'll tell you specifically what they want from you. They probably don't want the whole article or the whole piece right away. Um, they probably want maybe some information about you, some other publications that you have if you have any. Um, so make sure that you're paying attention to that and giving them what they want. Cause otherwise it's a very easy way to, for them to just like put your submission at the bottom of the pile. Right. Um, and I think also being really clear on who your audience is. That was another thing that would drive me nuts working in, in acquisitions is when I'd get a public, uh, pardon me, a proposal saying like, this is for students and teachers and practitioners and the young and the old. And it's like, no, it's not like, right. who is it for? <laughs> And it sort of seems like I think maybe people think that they're going to, you know, close doors for themselves or something if they're too specific about what their audience is. But that's really not the case at all. It just shows that, like, you know who you're writing to. So being clear on that, not just when you're submitting something, but when you're writing something, like, who are you speaking to is really important. And I think the last thing is probably just be really patient because, you know, Turnaround times often will be listed on, on publications, websites, but you know, acquisitions, people are busy. They get a ton of submissions. So like, it's fine to send a follow-up email, but don't, you know, you don't want to be too pushy, but you also don't want to be really discouraged if you don't hear back in like a few days, like it might take three months. Like that's just the way it goes. So just be patient. I like them. Mm -hmm. Well, especially now that people can just publish so much stuff online as totally. well so that everyone has access now to email to everybody like you said you can send it to like 50 people so yeah so there's tons and tons coming in absolutely yeah um and you kind of mentioned you had a routine already but I know just from reading like some of your Instagram captions and stuff that you do try to fit in like a million things <laughs> and you, you know you keep doing more and more and more <laughs> yeah so how do you take time to like disconnect and take time for yourself Oh my God. Yeah. That's something that's like for sure a work in progress. Like I said before, I'm like embarrassingly bad at relaxing. It's like, I don't know how to do it. Um, and I think that, you know, again, just like instilling things into a daily routine for me is a way that I manage that. So like I walk my dog every day and that's something that I really enjoy because it's like 
time for myself. It's time outside. It's a good way to start the day for me anyways. And I also make sure every day that I'm like doing something physically active because I spend so much time, you know, not just like sitting at a desk, which I do, or even just standing at a desk, it doesn't matter. Um, but so much time just like using my brain that like it gets fried really quickly. Right. <laughs> and I need to sort of like, I need to have that like juxtaposition of working on my like physical strength as well as my mental strength <laughs> to kind of keep me balanced. So, you know, I make sure that that's incorporated into my day. And like for some people like myself, it means going to the gym. For other people, it could just be like playing catch with your dog or playing with your kids or going for a walk, whatever. But I think like having some kind of like physical activity in your life is a good thing. So that's definitely how I manage that. And I think actually, you know, because it's the end of, you know, we're starting into the new year and everything and people are thinking about like goals and goal setting and like definitely figuring out how to like carve out more time for myself is one of those that I have in mind because <laughs> I'm still really bad at it. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's hard when people can just, like, contact you all the time. Yes. And you don't want to miss anything. Oh, my God, I totally. I understand completely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you've kind of touched on a couple things, but what have you learned about yourself since becoming self-employed? Um, I guess I've really sort of seen where, like, my, I guess, my, I guess where, like, my weaknesses lie. Um, you know, things that are maybe easier to kind of, like... <laughs> lie to yourself about when you're working for somebody else but when you're working for yourself there's like no one else to deal with it <laughs> so like for example the sort of financial back end you know budgeting and strategizing stuff I absolutely hate so much like I hate it and so I would always just kind of avoid it and like now I can't avoid it because <laughs> everything falls apart so that's definitely something that I've noted like I've, I've come to realize so I have to find and I've started to find ways to get that done and make it less painful for myself. Um, and then also I think too, just like not giving myself enough credit. Cause you know, I, I can remember like maybe even like in the early fall, I was in a, the, one of the first meetings I had with somebody who's now a long-term client and you know, they're explaining to me like, okay, well we need help with like, you know, writing and content creation and so what we're really looking for is, is a professional that we can hire as a consultant. And as they're explaining this to me, I'm thinking like, okay, I have a few people in mind that I can suggest. And then I realized like, wait, no, 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 I'm the professional that they want. Like, that's why I'm here. Like, what the hell, Jessica? So I definitely have to like work on that too. Like kind of giving myself more credit for like what I'm able to do and that like, I'm still like relatively young, but I'm not like a newbie by any me like right. by any measure. Like I've been doing this for over ten years, so like I do know what I'm doing right. in most <laughs> areas. So I need to like recognize that. <laughs> right, and that kind of goes into questions farther down about imposter syndrome because I know you wrote an article about it uh, recently, and I wrote articles about it. So Jonah, just touch upon what it is and how you've struggled with it and working to overcome it or have overcome it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's something that is definitely like, I don't know that anyone can ever really fully overcome it. Um, but I guess, yeah, imposter syndrome is essentially like feelings of inadequacy, like feeling like you don't deserve to be where you are or, um, that, you know, you are kind of like hiding this, this, this idea from everyone around you that like, you have no idea what's going on and like, you're just totally faking it. Um, or that like, you're not really good enough to be doing what you're doing. And, you know, I think that while anyone can, you know, 
have these feelings, um, I think especially if you're working for yourself because it, you are relying 100% on yourself. So it's very easy to fall into that kind of thinking trap when you're self-employed. But I think also women face that a lot more than men, you know, because we live in a society that, and this is not going to be like a shock to anyone, that like men are seen as sort of more natural authority figures. So women have to kind of work a little harder uh, to get that same kind of recognition. So it can be easier to have, you know, to kind of fall prey to those feelings that like, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve to be here. And like, I don't have, you know, the necessary talent or skills. Um, and I think that in terms of like getting past that or dealing with those feelings, the things that have helped me, like I went to a panel discussion on imposter syndrome last summer, actually. And the panelists were, um, they're all women. They're business owners, lawyers, and judges. And I remember sitting there listening to this woman who had been a judge for 30 years describing these feelings, that she still has these feelings of inadequacy sometimes. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, this is insane. You're a judge. Like, you're you're so amazing. And, you know, just hearing that, like, other women feel that way, particularly other women who are incredibly successful and, like, who I look at as like, how could you ever feel like that? It just, it helps me to feel less alone in that. And, and I guess the other thing that has helped is I kind of have to kind of like trick myself into like positive self-talk in a way. I know that sounds like very buzzwordy, (laughs) but like I talk to myself as though one of my like very good girlfriends came to me with these like feelings or these problems. Like, what would I say to her? And I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, like, right. you do kind of suck. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, no, are you kidding me? Like, look at all these things you've accomplished. And, like, right. it's so much easier to, you know, to, 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 like, pump somebody else's tires than it is to pump your own. But that's sort of, like, you know, kind of a cheesy thing that I've kind of figured out is that, like, I need to just talk to myself as if I were one of my good friends. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you know what you're doing. Like you said, yeah. you've been doing it for a while. So yeah, exactly. It's just, yourself. like, a little reminder. So, yeah, like, I don't think that you ever really kind of, like, get past that but you certainly you know you start to like recognize it a lot quicker and you can kind of like talk yourself out of that weird little spiral a lot quicker right yeah um and for people who want to become a freelancer quit their day job because they believe in themselves so they can do it full-time what's their what's your advice for taking that leap um I think that probably I would say well I have a couple of pieces of advice that might sound a little contradictory and the first one is like (laughs) don't wait there's always going to be something that's going to come up to make it seem like oh this isn't the right time like you know or like maybe I should wait until after the holidays maybe I should wait until after my next paycheck or whatever just do it because like if you're thinking about it and you're really serious about it and you really you know can see yourself working for yourself then just do it because something will always come up that's going to make you feel like, you know, you should wait. But on the other hand, I think it's also important to have a good sense of like the industry that you're interested in working in and what will be required of you to make it work. So like, you know, what, like, where are you going to be able to get clients? Um, Have some sense of like who potential clients are, uh, what resources are out there to help you, whether it's like, you know, financially or like networking wise, like just have a sense of like what the industry looks like. Don't sort of dive in completely blind, but also don't kind of drag your feet too long on it. Um, and then I, I, again, the networking thing, as much as it's painful for a lot of us, like has really been a game changer for me because again, I met 
not just like-minded um, people and other freelancers that do the same thing. And, and there's like such an invaluable resource when you're by yourself, like even just figuring out like, how much do I charge for this? Or what do I quote somebody on this? Being able to turn to another freelancer and be like, what did you do? And like, how do I, how do I, what do I tell them is really handy. Um, but then also, you know, finding again, like organizations that support freelancers or that provide financial, you know, funding, things like that has been invaluable for me too. And I've learned all of that through networking events. Wow. <laughs> so now we all need to go sign up for some networking events Absolutely, and yeah. get our business cards. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, and so outside of work, you are a competitive power lifter and you okay. said it so nonchalantly that you just like need to be active during the day, but you actually do really heavy lifting. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. made it sound like you just go for walks and like whatever, but, um, how did you get into that? How did that happen? Uh, well, I was working out at like, I had a membership at just like a standard corporate gym and one of the trainers there was doing like a group training thing on, you know, he could, he didn't call it powerlifting, but he was teaching how to do the three main lifts of powerlifting, which is a bench press, a squat and a deadlift. And so I guess he saw me like doing barbell workouts, um, just on my own around the gym and asked me to join. So I did, and I really liked it and I got more interested in powerlifting. I've always sort of like, I've always played sports, but I've always sucked at them. And like, <laughs> I've always had a gym membership, but I kind of like went off and on like since I was like 18 or something. And I never really like found it. I know I'd, I'd, you know, enjoy it for the first three weeks of the new year. And then I'd be like, this sucks. Cause you know, I don't know. I just didn't really find anything that clicked with me and powerlifting. I really, really liked. So I ended up working with the same trainer one-on-one -on -one and did my first competition in, I think it was 2015. And I was so nervous and I didn't want anyone that I knew to possibly see me doing this, that I did my first competition in Weyburn, Saskatchewan. <laughs> so I had to drive like five and a half hours. I brought two of my like closest girlfriends with me and my coach came as well. And I did this competition. It was like the Saskatchewan provincial championships or something like that. And it was like super exciting. And I really just fell in love with this sport. So I, I kept, um, I kept it up. I ended up moving to, um, like a, a powerlifting gym that had like more of the equipment that I would need. I kept competing. I think by now I've done maybe 10 competitions. The last one was last February in Calgary, uh, the Canadian national powerlifting championship, which was just like, it was just a wild experience to be around people. There was, I think there was like 330 competitors from all over the country. Some of them are like, you know, they're like Instagram celebrities. So I'd be right. like, oh my God, I follow you on social media. <laughs> You're so strong. But I also just really love that powerlifting is, the focus is strength and there's like no focus on like the aesthetics really. I mean, there there is, but that's not the key thing. And actually like the smaller you are, in some respects, the worse off you are because you're not going to be as strong. Like you need to have a little yeah. like, you know, cushion to like <laughs> help you lift those weights. So that really resonated with me. And also it's just like an incredibly supportive community because it's like, you know, everyone is competing against each other individually, but we all like, you know, I remember going to a, a competition. I didn't really know anybody. It was like earlier on in, in competing for me. And there's this group of women, they were all from Winnipeg, but they were from a different gym and they all had like team shirts. I didn't know any of them. And they were all like, kind of like, you know, like cheering each other on and everything. And then I go up to do a lift and they're all screaming my name. Like you got this. And I was like, 
oh my god, I don't even know you guys. Like, this is so amazing. Like, so yeah, it was just like everyone's super supportive and it's just like, you get to see this, like, it's really gratifying to see like week over week and like month over month and year over year how your personal strength increases. And like, it just like benefits every other aspect of my life just to be stronger in general. It means that I can like, you know, go on a hike without like having a heart attack. Right. <laughs> like, you know, I'll live longer, et cetera, right. et cetera. And like I sleep better and all the rest of it. So yeah, I just really, really enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. Next time you're in Calgary, I'll have to come. Yeah, totally. To the, to the competition. Um, a couple more questions. So looking at your Instagram and reading your captions and everything, they're very just you. They're very <laughs> no bullshit. So um, for people that are listening that are trying to, especially like you said, going into the new year with all these goals and stuff, for people that are trying to find themselves and find what they love to do and find their confidence, do you have any advice for that? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think that part of that, it, it just sort of comes, like for me anyway, it just kind of comes with age um, like and like sort of a change in priorities. Like I obviously still care what people think about me. Like when people are like, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I'm like you're totally right. lying. Like everybody <laughs> does. And I still do, but certainly far less than I did like say 10 years ago. Um, and I think to, you know, trying to please everyone is not going to get you anywhere. And I think it's very easy to forget the fact that everyone is really worried about what other people think about them. Everyone's really focused on themselves and how what they do and say and post and the ways that they act appears to everyone else. So like, we're all worried about ourselves, but you know, it's like this, this idea of like, people judging you for what you're doing it's like they're not they're too busy judging themselves like they're not yeah. they're not thinking about you as much as you're thinking yeah. about you so i think just like you know keeping that in mind really kind of helps um and really like i think it's important to recognize like if you're going to spend a whole bunch of energy trying to make somebody happy that as cheesy as this sounds really should be you um so i think that in terms of like i don't know becoming more confident I don't really know that I have any like tangible advice. It's just that recognizing that like nobody is going to criticize you more than you're going to criticize yourself. And that, you know, once you kind of recognize that your priorities change a little bit and your sort of your sense of self is going to change a little bit, especially as you get older too. So I don't know, I guess maybe just like, just keep plugging away. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> you totally got it. <laughs> um, and what goals do you have for 2019? If you want to share any of those? Well, um, I'd say like business wise, uh, for sure is like working on those weaknesses, like I mentioned before. So continuing to work on like figuring out strategies for the elements of my business that I don't really like doing. So like the financial stuff, like figuring out ways to like do that so that it's less painful and, um, sort of making sure that I'm like giving myself credit for what I, what I am doing, what I can do. Um, and part of that too, I think is like taking new risks. So like accepting jobs that maybe like I'm a little bit scared of, cause I'm like, oof, I don't really have a lot of experience with this, but just, just doing it because that's the only way I'm going to get that experience. And I'd say probably personally, it's just like figuring out how to like set aside more time for myself. Like we talked about already, but like just figuring out how to kind of like, I think it's, it's hard when you're self-employed to say no and, you know, if you get really burnt out, then you're useless to everybody. So it's really important that you say no now and then. And I need to kind of figure out 
how to do that, whether it's saying no to a client or no to a particular deadline or just saying no, like I can't go out on Saturday night. I'm sorry. Like I really need to like sleep for a day and a half. <laughs> so like kind of figuring that out for myself. I think that's what I'm going to focus on next year. Yeah. I like it. And you said you listen to podcasts. I didn't put this in your questions. So you have no, no preparation, <laughs> but what are your, what book or resource or podcast would you recommend to listeners? I am like the personification of like a woman in her thirties in that I am like that total stereotype that I listen to true crime podcasts all the time. <laughs> so I just finished listening to all of the crime junkie podcasts and I really like them. Um, and I would also recommend, um, oh, CBC has some really good ones, actually. Finding Cleo um, and, oh gosh, what is it called? Some Someone Knows Something. And then also, if you're into true crime and if you're into true crime in Canada, there's a podcast called Thunder Bay that is fantastic. And it just sort of like highlights... I would say just listen to it. It's like, it's a little, you know, it's infuriating, it's disturbing, but it's like contemporary and kind of, it highlights all of the problems in, in Thunder Bay that kind of like, I would say represent a lot of the problems that are in the, in Canada in general, but it's just a really, really well done podcast. And I think there's probably like eight episodes you can get through really quickly, which I also really like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) Um, And where can people connect? Uh, well, you can find my blog on my website, which is anchoreditorial.com. And the blog is, you know, like linked through the website and you can find me on Instagram. My handle is jessica.antony. And I'm also on Twitter where I am incredibly unprofessional and make a lot of (laughs) dumb fart jokes. And my handle is very embarrassing because it's old. It's booze and books. So those are the places that you can find me. And your LinkedIn profile that you were uh, really course, hard yes. on. My very, yeah, exactly. My LinkedIn profile with my three articles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. No problem. I'm happy to.